I believe that the ability to communicate well has become the number one most sought after soft skill of our time. And not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well. We all want to be more engaging, more charismatic and authentic in front of an audience and in one-on-one conversation. Bottom line, we want to shine. And that's where I come in. I have coached hundreds of clients, helping them to shine in high-pressure situations, whether on camera for CNN or CNBC, The Oprah Show, or for the TED stage, or sometimes even just helping clients navigate a tough conversation. But now, I want to offer you everything I know about communicating well. And for the next 20 minutes, give or take, I will give you high-voltage, practical, and highly irreverent advice to help you dismantle the communication habits that are holding you back while giving you the skills you need to shine. But enough with the preamble. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to episode three, y'all. We have been talking about the thought patterns that hold us back from being our most magnificent, most compelling selves as we communicate, as we go out into the world and do our thing. And we've talked about some of the patterns that are the most toxic, inferiority and superiority, feeling greater than or less than someone else. That will ruin your ability to show up and shine. Or how about the us versus them, that whole tribal thinking that shuts down any possibility of collaboration or progress, right? Number three on our list of junk thoughts that need to be replaced is scarcity. That thought that there just isn't enough. I see scarcity having huge consequences for the way people communicate, whether it's a scarcity of time, resources, money, budget, the list goes on. And When I had to learn this scarcity lesson the hard way, I will never forget it. It was 2006. I just had a baby, my first baby, and I was still working. And I went back to work very quickly after I had her, and it was a really, really tough time, right? The pumping in the middle of the night, the having the work deadlines, traveling, dealing with the identity shift. I was underwater. And I remember at 2 o'clock in the morning, after I just fed her, I was on the interwebs Googling. (laughs) I literally think the Google search said how to remain calm when breastfeeding and working at the same time, something insane like that. And I came across this article about scarcity thinking. And what I read made me laugh out loud and not in a good way. The writer wrote something like, tell yourself a story of abundance. No matter what your schedule says, repeat the phrase, I have plenty of time and all is well. And when I read that, I wanted to throw my computer right out the window. I wanted that woman to choke on her Birkenstock. And I kind of wanted to punch her in the neck, honestly. Because seriously, I was like in airports pumping in bathrooms, wondering how disgusting a situation that is (laughs) health-wise and thinking, you know what, this clown telling me to pretend like there's an abundance of time. She's never had a baby. She's never had mastitis. She should go pound sand. But what ended up happening after I read that was that I started using that phrase, there is enough, there is plenty of time and all is well. I started saying it through gritted teeth, like gallows humor. You know what I mean? Like, 
There's plenty of time and all is well, God damn it. But something happened. As I kept saying it over and over again, my teeth stopped gritting and I actually started to believe it. And I started to feel it and my shoulders dropped and my breath evened out and a smile came back to my face. And I realized the power of rewiring a brain that is in scarcity. Because what happens when you think there's not enough of something, not enough time, not enough money? It immediately makes us feel constricted. And if it's a real scarcity attack, it makes our minds feel like we are under attack. And that unleashes a holy host of physiological reactions. Our heart starts to race, palms get sweaty. I mean, we will talk about this a lot in upcoming episodes, that fight, flight, or freeze reaction, and just how dangerous that is for communicating. Because you know what happens when fight, fight, or freeze happens, and we allow that process of racing heart to completely unfurl into a full-blown freak out? What happens is we lose access to our prefrontal cortex, which is where everything we need in a moment of tension That's where that lives. It's where creativity lives, problem solving, logic, rational thought. It all lives in the prefrontal cortex. And if we allow scarcity thoughts to make our hearts rush and create a state of anxiety, we can say goodbye to our ability to effectively manage a conversation. Goodbye, rational thinking. So scarcity attacks are very dangerous, right? We don't want to let them happen. And while the first step at arresting a real scarcity attack in the form of anxiety, while the first step is definitely breath, breath is the only way to come back to center, belly breaths. That stops the heart rate nonsense, which stops the rest of it. By taking breaths, you return to a place where you can use a mantra. And the mantra I love is that stupid mantra that hippie online wrote, there's plenty of time and all is well, or there's plenty of resources and all is well, or another one I love, how might I make something amazing with the resources or time or whatever that I do have? How might I is a magical mantra to replace scarcity thinking. I love that phrase. It's like it opens up your imagination. I can't tell you how often I'm, especially when I'm coaching people for TEDx or TED Talks, I'll get like a, you know, neuroscientist who will say, I can't possibly give this speech in seven minutes. It's not enough time. I give this speech in 45. And I always have to remind them that that's the wrong question to ask. That's a scarcity question. The abundance question asks, how might I give this audience something that will expand their thinking or change their perception? How might I give them something in seven minutes? And then we get into a totally different headspace, right? Then you start budgeting your, you know, you got two minutes for an intro and five minutes for this, and you can start moving the needle of where you want to be without that sense of constriction. Because that constriction makes you the opposite of creative, makes you the opposite of compassion right? It's a dangerous, dangerous path to go down. And it's not only for TED Talks, right? I once worked with someone. I was trying to help her because she'd gotten feedback that she's really, really hard on other women on her team. And when we really got down to it, let's call her Jean, 
When we really got down to it, we discovered that what was causing her to treat other women on her team badly was that there was a scarcity belief behind her bullying communication style. And that belief was there's only room for one high-powered female executive at this company, and I intend to be that high-powered female executive. Jean was perceiving a scarcity of opportunity for women. And as such, the communication patterns that followed were negative. They were holding other people back. So with her, we reworked a mantra to say there is plenty of room for everyone. What's important is talent and commitment and execution. And that was a mantra she could get behind. And it loosened her up. And we also worked with when she felt threatened, because that was that's a part of the scarcity mentality, when she felt her position was threatened, we came up with a new mantra, which was, I lift as I climb. I lift as I climb. And that opened her mind to see other women as opportunities to lift, not threats. It was powerful stuff. Another client I worked with, let's call him Paul. Paul really struggled with speed talking. You know those people that talk really fast because they're super, super smart and they sound like they're in a huge hurry? I'm kind of that person sometimes, actually. But with Paul, what we discovered is that he was perceiving a scarcity in the conversation in terms of airtime. Paul was convinced that there wasn't enough time for him to make his point. And so he had to do it as quickly as possible and shove as many data points and as many arguments into a sentence as he possibly could because he was afraid he'd be interrupted. He was afraid he wouldn't be able to make his point. So with Paul, we worked on shifting into a different mantra, right? The mantra was, there is plenty of time. And the plan was, you know what? If I get interrupted, I'll just finish my thought at the right moment. And if the meeting ends before I can finish my thought, I'll follow up with a concise email if it is truly that important. Or if I feel like the point has to be made before the meeting ends, I'll use a phrase like, hey guys, I know we covered this earlier, but I really, there's a point I feel I need to make and go ahead and make the point. Most people are delighted to hear what that important point is. People don't want to leave things unfinished, but it's got to be worth it. It's got to be worth stopping the meeting and saying it. And deep down, I think we know when something is worth it. In an upcoming podcast, I'm gonna that's called Speak Up or Shut Up. We're gonna talk a little bit about more about that decision point. But for now, just know there is plenty of time. And if it's that important, you can make that point either via email or in the moment. Trust yourself, right? So that shift in mental storytelling from perceived scarcity to perceived abundance makes all the difference, right? So The next time you find yourself locked in that, even if you have to grit your teeth as you say these words, say, there is plenty of time or there is plenty of money and all is well. Now, I want to parenthetically say something here about time and scarcity specifically around time. As you can imagine, I work with a lot of really high-powered, high-functioning, busy, busy people. And I think the time scarcity issue is the biggest hindrance. It's one of the things that I see causing the most angst and anxiety and therefore has the most detrimental effect on people's communication habits, that issue of not enough time. 
And what I want to say is a couple things. I actually just got finished delivering an eight-week online course about time and time debt with my co-creator, Linda Sievertson. And this was something we covered in great detail in that workshop, but I want to just paraphrase a little bit of it for you here. And that is people that are locked in a real sense of desperate time scarcity. I always have to ask this question first before we can really get into solving the time scarcity problem. The first question I ask is, are you transitioning between meetings, between things, between activities? Are you transitioning well, or are you transitioning with mindless email checking or mindless social media scrolling or venting or bitching or emotional vomiting after meeting? And the reason I say that is because this is a tip I learned from Brenda Bouchard's book, High Performance Habits, which I really, I loved this piece of advice. And that is that we lose a tremendous amount of energy transitioning between tasks. When we transition between something, let's say we finish a meeting, move to the next meeting, or we finish doing email and we're about to go into it, whatever it is, whatever the transition point is, that time can act as such a precious little oasis to reset, to replenish, to breathe, to recommit, to set an intention for what the next piece of time will be. But for many of us, myself included, we numb out, we grab Instagram, we scroll, or we grab Facebook and we scroll and we get outraged at the latest news bit or who, we get jealous of the friend that, you know, isn't working and is in, you know, Hawaii or something. And as a result, we lose energy, we lose power. And so when someone is locked in a scarcity mentality, the first thing I want to look at is how are you managing those transitions? And are you open to sitting with your breath, even if it's just five mindful inhales and exhales? Because a lot of times we would rather scroll and troll than be alone with our heartbeat and our breath. Makes total sense. I mean, I do it all the time. <laughs> I completely get it. But when I am able to operate at the highest levels, it is when I am managing those transitions mindfully and giving myself those little oases, 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 <laughs> oases to reset, to breathe. And then to ask myself, what is my intention for this next measure of time? And what's so powerful about asking the question, what is my intention, is that the word intention, I am convinced, triggers something in our brain that calls out big you, right? The minute I say, okay, what is my intention for the next 20 minutes? Big you goes, ooh, that sounds like my cue. I'm here. What do we want to do? Oh, your, your next, your intention, what's next? Okay, yes. So for example, for me today, as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to go get my haircut. You know what my intention for that haircut is? My intention is to get a cup of coffee and mindfully drink that coffee and catch up with my friend, Lindsay, that cuts my hair, who I love, and like enjoy a super mindless celebrity gossip magazine and I'm not going to check my phone for a whole hour. That is my intention. And as a result, that haircut will double as like a mini spa break and an opportunity to connect with someone I love. Isn't that awesome? 
because I got a, the rest of the afternoon is crazy. And I, my band has a gig tonight at Clola Chance. So this is pre-recorded, so don't go to Clola Chance thinking you're going to see me. <laughs> this may not come out for a few weeks. But anyway, my point is, instead of what I would do if I weren't being intentional about my time getting my hair cut, is I'd be on Instagram or Facebook or email, and it would be bleeding other parts of my life into an hour that is sacred, that might otherwise be just pure self-care, pure indulgence. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at when you're engaged in that time scarcity, look at your transitions. And this is a hard change to make. So maybe you're only capable of the breath work and the intention setting for like half your transitions, or maybe just the transition of getting up in the morning. The transition I'm really working on right now is because I'm having an easier time of transitioning during the day between meetings. I'm actually doing pretty well with that. But what I've been totally sucking at is waking up and checking my phone. And it's like an instant energy drain. I can feel it. I can feel it teasing my brain in too many directions. And so right now I am practicing waking up and not checking any devices till after breakfast. I'm reading this book called Superwoman RX that's really good, really good. And it's about how to care for our bodies and minds as women. And there's these different types and it's a really good book. You should check it out. Superwoman RX. Anyway, so that's the transition I'm trying to work on right now. It's just my morning transition. So don't boil the ocean. But I want you to be crystal clear about something. If you are mindlessly checking email or mindlessly engaging in social media, or venting and bitching to people. You are leaking energy and you are part of your own scarcity problem, okay? It's the truth, because I'm living it. It is absolutely the truth. The second thing I want you to look at, and this is true for people, like I have clients and friends who are in work environments where there literally is no time between one meeting and the next. I mean, I was just talking to somebody recently who his day starts at 6 a.m. and he is in meetings until 6 p.m. Non-stop, 12 hours of back-to-back meetings. It's too new of a job for it to be sorted out whether some of those are unnecessary. They're necessary right now. And this person is doing everything possible to bring a game to every single one of those meetings. And the question that came to me was, well, when do you do your thinking if all you're doing is meetings? And that's real. I mean, sometimes our careers and our lives demand that kind of work and it's brutal. It's definitely not sustainable. It's a season. I want you to see that kind of work as a season. It's not something that can be done forever. But if you need to do that for three months to get your feet under you at a new job or in a new position, maybe you've just been promoted, You can do a season of that kind of intensity, but it requires two things, ready? It requires an absolutely intentional self-care practice. If you're in meetings till six, you're going to need to do some work probably till eight or nine, but at nine or 10, no electronics, nothing. Mindful practices like taking a bath, taking a walk with nothing but, you know, music or your breath sitting in a yoga position, doing some stretches. I just read Audible sends this like 
email and this email was a self-care email, which of course I eat up for lunch because I love self-care. But the email was talking about this practice called sound bathing. I mean, how freaking amazing does that sound? Where you listen to like Zen chimes for 10 minutes and take a sound bath. You know how fucking fabulous is that? I'm going to take a sound bath after this. So if you're in that season, you might need a sound bath before bed. Really get absolutely ruthless about a self-care regimen, even if it starts at 11 p.m., whatever you have to do, and get as much sleep as you can. Keep a notebook by your bed. If something comes up that you think, oh God, I forgot to do that, write it down on the notebook and go back to sleep. It's on the notebook. It'll be there when you wake up, right? The other thing you want to do is when you don't have time to think and be strategic and creative because all jobs require that on some level, and you're in these back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings, look for pockets of daydreaming. And when I say daydreaming, I mean problem-solving using imagination. To me, that's what daydreaming is. It's really just, it can be problem solving using your imagination. So maybe you're going to daydream driving back and forth to work, or maybe you're going to problem solve and daydream about a scenario you'd like to resolve in the shower, or maybe you're going to daydream during your sound bath, whatever. I, I don't know, but you have to look at time through a different lens. Don't think that big solutions to intractable problems necessarily take a long time, right? I mean, Niels Bohr came up with the model for the atom in a dream and woke up and there it was. Let your subconscious do some work for you, right? Tell your mind you want to dream a solution to a problem before you go to bed. Or put on some goofy music and say to your mind, you know what, we need to solve this, but we're not going to solve it by bearing down and being mad at it. We're going to solve it by doing a dance party and then writing the first thing that comes to mind about the problem, right? Get creative, y'all. We weren't born to like trudge through life like pack mules, right? Even though you're in a season of intensity, you can have fun and be playful with your strategic thinking time, but you have to force yourself to do it. So for me, dance parties is a huge thing. If I'm dealing with a really hard problem, I'll put the problem down for a minute, write down a piece of paper, put on some Madonna, old school style, bounce around a little bit and come back to the problem with that playful mentality. And I shit you not, the stuff that comes out of that is pretty darn good and it doesn't take long. So you have to start thinking about time differently in a season like that. You have to start thinking in terms of 15-minute bursts of creative thinking time, playfulness. Playfulness practice is huge. Pleasure practice is huge. You just have to get creative about when and how. So friends, I think I've just passed the 20-minute mark. Darn it. I could do this all day with you. Anyway, I hope that was helpful. Be on guard for that scarcity thought pattern. It's a killer. And I hope you have a beautiful week. And if this was helpful, tell a friend, leave a review, call your mom. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. See you next time. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. (laughs) 